and welcome to Gloom and Bloom. This is Christine. Oh my gosh. Has anyone told you you're a great announcer? <laughs> Not lately. Oh my gosh. <laughs> you're so good at announcing Thank this you. I get podcast. so, uh, I don't know, flummoxed because you always are looking at me like we're performing and then I'm like, <laughs> and, and we're also just sitting in a room. Go. In my basement. Yeah, it's just a lot. But how are you? I'm good. This is Taylor, by the way. I oh, didn't even oh, say. Oh, sorry. I just was so amazed this by is your announcer Christine. voice. I don't know if I said that. You did. And it okay. was so good. It just took me off guard. And I was like, wow. I mean, yeah, I'll do that The skill. You. Take your breath away when you're not expecting it. So. <gasps> I just like start gasping. I'm like a dementor. <gasps> <laughs> um, if you have not heard... Mm. Uh, Christine and I recently shared um, some of our political views on oh. Instagram. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't be offended. We're I mean. voting bread. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we are for bread and peace. Mm-hmm. And sorry, not sorry. If you're against bread and peace, we're against you. I know. I have. This is actually a really touchy subject for me <laughs> because I have a sister-in-law who is has celiacs. Okay, yes, but, I mean, if she could have bread, <laughs> would she be against bread? Oh, I doubt it. Who's against bread? Right? Um, I don't know, probably, like, bodybuilders that are like, ooh, simple carbs. Mm-mm. No. Have you ever, like, heard those people? Oh, I was, so one time I was watching, oh, it was like that, you remember the show Wife Swap? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do you remember that? So there was an episode where like Sean Lowe from The Bachelor, who married oh, like Catherine, yes. and like um Jason Mesnick from like a million seasons ago, uh-huh. they did wife swap. And so like Catherine went and lived with Jason and Jason's wife, Melissa, I don't know. Whatever. Went and lived with Sean. And Sean was like, I'm just like one of those people who just eats to fuel my body. Like, I don't really care about food. And I was like, ew. <laughs> Sean, I thought we might have had something. And now I have the ick. I could never marry someone who's like, I just eat to live. <laughs> you know what? Todd is a little bit like that. He just <gasps> like, he genuinely does not care for desserts. And like, he just doesn't like, he, but does he have like any weaknesses? Is there anything that he just like, ooh, he could like, Munch on a whole bag of chips. Yeah, or... like he does that, but he just doesn't do anything in excess. He's just like, why do you have so much self control, you uptight bastard? Seriously, who hurt you? Wow, like no wonder he's always like shredded and has never, <laughs> like he has to fight to keep on his weight. Oh. And being married to him when I was pregnant, it was rough. We're <laughs> taught. Like, like, can you not get sympathy fat with me? <laughs> right, at least. <laughs> But anyway, like, he doesn't, like, when we go out to eat, he doesn't even consider getting desserts ever. Yeah. Cool. I wasn't I either. No, I I guess I don't want that. <laughs> like, Do you want to split? Never mind. No, he doesn't. I know he doesn't. <laughs> but, uh, and he also doesn't like guacamole. So. Uh, well, I don't. When we go out to dinner with friends, and he also doesn't like sushi. So I go yeah. wild when we go out to dinner with friends. Like, I'm like, yes! let's get all the rolls. Totally. We made Todd eat a piece of a Vegas roll. Yeah. And he almost spit it out. Oh, that would be me. Yeah, <laughs> you don't I mean, do sushi? I don't do sushi. And I don't do I do not do guacamole either. But I'm <gasps> a very picky eater. Like, you know this. Yeah, already. I guess you and Todd. I eat like a child a little See, bit. See, you and Todd, because he almost embarrasses me when we go out. I was be like, <laughs> no onions, no tomatoes, no mushrooms. And I was like, honey, you literally ordered just chicken. Like, yeah. there's nothing on it. Yeah. 
he's totally. like, I stand by it. I'm like, I stand mm. by it. But you know, you got to order it the way you like. Yeah, it's true. It's true. I've like, definitely gotten better as I've gotten older, but de- oh, no tomatoes, no onions for sure. Mm. No peppers. Ew. Uh, but, you know, I don't know. <laughs> That's great. I want you to stand firm. But it's good to set boundaries with your it's food. It's true. Be like, guess what? I don't want to see a tomato. Yeah. Uh, that tomato that you cut open and it looks like a monster's inside. What did you call them? Like a food they had boogers in it or something? Yeah. You want to eat a vegetable or a fruit that like is <laughs> boogers on the inside? Good for you. I boogers mean, with seeds? Good. Yeah. Uh, technically, I know that a tomato is a fruit, but it will always be in the vegetable category oh, totally. for me. So don't me. I know. My You're kids being really controversial. Always, oh, seriously. My kids will <laughs> always tell me that. I'm like, okay, what do you want for veggies? I'm like, you can pick a fruit and a veggie. So I'm like, you know, oh, they want berries. Cool. They're the veggies. And I'm like, do you want like tomatoes for your veggie? They're like, it's a fruit. And I'm like, nah. <laughs> I'm like, oh yeah. <laughs> cool. Just throw their, their toy across the room. I know. And like, how do you like, like that? Isn't like cucumber fruit too? I'm sorry. No. Vegetable. Yes. What are you going to do? Put that on your ice cream? I doubt it. Ew, gross. <laughs> I dare you. I dare, I dare you, you to eat cucumber ice cream. Mm, no. Nope. Um, I'll pass on that. So uh, what did you do this week? Anything exciting? Well, I've been preparing because I'm going out of town. So mm-hmm. I've been doing like all this prep work. And for Christmas, I got uh, like a nail light and some like supplies oh, to do yeah. my own nails. Is that what you've got going on so, here? Yeah, it's I so did my fun. own They're nails. so bright. But let me tell you. Uh, mm-hmm. So I did them at Christmas time. They were great. Okay. Super like, I mean, it's going to take some time. Right. For it's me tricky. to pick up my speed and, you know, like I got to push the cuticles back and shape the nail. It's a process. Um, but the problem is, is the the nail gel that I got, mm-hmm. you're not really supposed to, it's not like a soak off. Like typically oh. you file it off. And so I bought like my mother-in-law got me like a nail drill. Yeah. Um, I really underestimated how difficult it was to do it on with my left yeah. hand. Yeah. Yeah. Cause and you don't want to like file through your nail, you know? You sure don't. <laughs> so, uh, it went real slow. Oh, I did geez. my toes easy. Oh yeah. Right hand. I mean, took a while, but like you do managed mm-hmm. this one. Did you just have to it go back a, to like a hand file? That's no, what I would have. I to just do. did it very, very slowly, and I was like, "But it took like an hour and a half for this one hand." <gasps> Stop it! It was. It I'd was be like, intense. "Screw it! I'm going to the salon." I should, but I'm like, you know what? The more I do it, the better I'm going to get, and the faster I'm going to get. That's a can-do attitude. Look at me. I like <laughs> that, and I'm really happy with the color. No, that's so I'm, fun. I like the shape. <laughs> Things I shaped them myself. Oh my god! I grew them from my body, and then I shaped them with my own hands. Congratulations! You should be so proud. <laughs> what is this? I know my friends, my girls are always like about my nails. They're like, "Oh, I like your nails," and Millie goes, "Those are her real nails. They're that long, and they're like pretty and grossly long." I'm yeah. Because like, mm-hmm. you do the luminary, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm that's like, what. Let's not I brag have. about that, so. Millie. Oh, that you got luminary gel. Yeah. So nice. So look it's at me. It's so like solid because my nails are like a good almost half an inch long. Oh, totally. I'm getting them done tomorrow and I can't wait. They're it's way too long. But I'm really like, they're good stuff. So that's rock why I was solid. Like, you know what? I just need to do it myself. I need to do it. So. And you should. I'm saving so much money. I should do that because my, <laughs> my lady, I love her, but she is very expensive. You really shouldn't though because then you're spending an hour and a half on one you're freaking right. hand. You're right. Yeah. Time is money, baby. It is. How much time... How much is, money is your time worth? I don't know what I'm uh, going to say. Yeah. 
It's fine. Um, so I found this page. Oh, shiz. And my phone is busy. I've, I'll post it. I can't remember. I think I might have sent it to you. It's a couple. It's a girl. And she tells her husband horrifying pickup lines. She goes, yes, let's pay Barbie. You're Ken and I'll be the box you come in. Yes. It's <laughs> so good. And he has the best laugh. He laughs at everything she says. And I said, what would that be like? Is that to have your husband think you're that funny? Who like his wife is like welcoming baby and oh that's no another one of my favorites yes, that's so funny the <laughs> one i saw today was um i'm riding the red river this week want to take the dirt road oh ah! uh, he like thought that was so gross oh my god she goes let's play um <laughs> let's play school bus and you fill me with children <laughs> pass i know <laughs> they're like so gross that's We'll post them. Yeah, they like, I think she kind of just started posting that kind of content and she has like, now she has like 200,000 followers. Oh, it like yeah. just rocketed. They're like, I'm into this. Yes. I'm into this kind of it's so nonsense. bizarre. Yes. I'm like, good for you. Right? Um, I also, I read a news story today. Do you ever read news stories from your own state and you're like, are they exaggerating or is this real? Yeah. I read one that says Utah... Utahns in northern Utah woke up Tuesday morning in temperatures colder than Antarctica. Okay. I was like, you know what? I I live here. I'm not like the most northern Utah, but I can confirm it has felt very freezing. Oh my hell, so cold. I want to die. Oh, yes. I'm not built for it. Did you see that video I posted to our Instagram of like what living in an Antarctica yes. is like? <laughs> yes, it was wild. No. If you want to read a book... That is like um, sexy times because that's Ooh. all I read, you know. Wait, what? It's a reverse harem, <laughs> which means there's three dudes, one girl. Okay. It's called Three Swedish Mountain Men. And they're in Sweden, like very northern. They live in the Arctic Circle. And she like yeah. gets stranded there and she's falling for these dudes. They see the northern lights. Oh. Anyway. It's like, and they have to keep warm. They in the have cold. to. She, they get in a fight. She runs outside, and she mm-hmm. almost dies because of the storms. Mm. It's great. One time, she doesn't die. <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't even say this. <laughs> One time, you should. There was like this made-for-TV movie, and it is stuck in my brain forever. Don't and I want to say it was like based on a true story of like this couple who went out in like Antarctica or something, and they. Got frostbite and they had to get both their legs amputated. What a horrible! Story. I think about this all the time in the winter, and I'm like, I hate winter. That would suck. Yes. No thanks. Hmm. Mm. Well, and you heard about Prince Harry getting frostbite on his weenie. Oh yeah. And then he had to put his mom's bomb on it or something <laughs> I, did you read about that in spare yes <laughs> i don't know that story. it was just like this ointment that his doctor adam put on but he's like my mother used this ointment on her lips and he's like and every time i applied it i <laughs> bro why are you so why are you saying these things nobody stopped what him. was it like lanolin i don't know my mother used this on her cracked nipples when i was <laughs> breastfeeding <laughs> that's the one he's well, like i remember the taste oh gosh <laughs> I've had lanolin ruin some shirts because I couldn't wear a bra because, are you kidding? Ew. Raw nipples. No. 
and it is quite thick and oily. You wouldn't mm. think it, but it will ruin your clothes. So uh, nursing mothers or newly to be nursing soon. Yeah. Take note. I have read uh, with my friends. I started reading from Blood and Ash. Did you ever read that? No. Is it a Sarah J. Mass? It's No, it's not. But it's like Sarah J. Mass adjacent. Okay. I don't even. It's like something Ermintrout. Anyway, I'm not into it. Everybody really? is like, it's a group chat. I just, I'm like, I can only do fantasy not very often. Yeah. I just don't love it. Like, um, I did Iron Flame and stuff already. I'm like, totally. I'm good. And then I'm going to have to do Crescent City here soon when it comes out on the 24th. So I'm like. Oh, the new one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I'm like, I just can't. So I'm going to DNF it and they yeah. don't know it yet. And oh. I feel like they might judge me. Uh-oh. I know. I'm just, I'm just like, I just don't care. I like get really stressed. I like. If if you're on Goodreads, mm-hmm. I submitted that I was going to start a book because it came in through the library. I was like, oh, great. I'm going to do that. I'm going to read it. Did I do any research into what this book was about? No. <laughs> so I start the book. I'm listening. And it's like, these are add-ons to my other stories. And so then it starts and it's like, this first one, listen to this book. And I was like, are you freaking kidding me? I have to listen to like <laughs> 10 whole ass books before listening to this yeah, book. And now I'm like, I've already marked it as good to read on Goodreads. I know. And it's hard to what remove What do I do? It. You have to go back and say want to read. You have to click back to want to read. And then it goes that. back on your TBR because okay. I've done that. I'm like, this book has been sitting here for six months and I DNF'd it so long ago. I was like, well, shit. I don't know what to do. Well, you committed. And, and Goodreads and is so going to judge you. And so now I've been in a crippling state of I don't know <laughs> where to move from here. You're like, eh, I can't start eh. a new book. I can't. I, I've just been stuck now. See, that's the, and that's the thing with like fantasy books or just committing to any series mm-hmm. is it is a commitment. It is. And I just need a lot of standalones right now. If you need a good fantasy book, mm-hmm. may I recommend to you mm-hmm. the Twilight series? <laughs> <laughs> yes. If you haven't heard about it. It's about this man who watches this girl sleep. He's four trillion years old. He, he smells her at first and you're like, he thinks she stinks. But no, <laughs> he wants to kill her because she smells so good. Oh, yeah. I saw um, Kristen Stewart who played Bella in Twilight, if you didn't yeah. know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's like, she's a bisexual person. So she's like, Twilight is such a gay series. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh no, that sounds like a problem. But she's like, it's literally about um, like sexual repression. She's like, it was written by a Mormon woman. It's about, she wants to do all these things she's forbidden to do. <laughs> so she's like, it is about gay people. Ah! And I was like, I mean, I see it. Yeah, I can see that. I did tell my book friends that I was team Jacob and they were like, really? And I was like, it was like, I was 19 years old. She will not be... <sighs> 19-year-old me will not be held accountable. I was Team Jacob, too. Right? All the way. It's fine. You know, I have a lot of controversial team opinions, you know? <laughs> what else? Well, Gilmore Girls. Have you watched it? I haven't. Mm, then it wouldn't really matter to you. Who's Everyone's team like, you on? Team Jess, Team Jess. And I'm like, sick. Team Logan. All the way. Oh, yeah. See, Logan's uh, did you watch Sex in the City? Yes. Are you Team Big? Barf. I uh, will never get over when he left her at the wedding and then she beat the shit out of him with her bouquet. I love that scene. That's the first time I saw it. I wept. Yes. I cried. Oh, so he's good. the worst. But I do love 
when the the guy does the girl wrong, he betrays her, he does whatever, and then he has to grovel. Yeah. I live for the grovel. Um, Spoiler alert, if you haven't watched the most recent uh, Sex and the City stuff. I was so pissed when he died. (laughs) I know. And people died on her. He died. Like, oh, you leave her at the altar and then you leave her in life. Cool. Big. You big asshole. (laughs) Um, He died riding Peloton and then Peloton stock dropped. I know. Like literally it was a huge thing. It was pretty upsetting. But no, I'm (laughs) team Aiden all the way. Yeah. I prefer. Did you watch the new one with Aiden when he comes back? No, I haven't I haven't watched any of it. I need to. Because yeah. I know that, like, the cast, like, there was so much beef with Samantha and, and, uh. But she was in the newer ones, I think. Was she? I don't know. I think so, but I could be wrong. I don't know. Then- I could be lying straight to your face. Mm. But it's with good intentions, because I'm not trying to. I oh. think, I believe it to be true. Oh, okay. So you would lie on a detector <laughs> test? You would yes, pass it? I would pass it. Because she doesn't believe it's a lie. I don't believe it. That's how you do it, guys. You believe the lie. Mm-hmm. And they're also not admissible in court. So, like, who gives a right? shit? Who cares? Um, Todd and I started watching a show. Yes. I'm pretty into it, but it's so-so. So you stopped Game of Thrones or you're still in Game we, of Thrones? We paused Game of Thrones for yeah. now because we needed something else. Yeah. First of all, we started watching Reacher, which is like a oh, yeah, yeah. Jack Reacher. But the guy that's in it is giant yeah shredded. jared wants to watch that super bad so super you're kind cute. of into it yeah we're kind of into it um todd kept falling asleep so we we just paused that one too but we started watching this one last night it's called imposters it's on netflix i don't think it's new but it's about a girl she like falls in love with the guy marries the guy gets all of his money leaves the guy <gasps> and then you find out she's done it at least three times that's like her thing and so it, I like it. It's not a documentary, though. No, it's just like a dramatic, Ooh. like suspenseful Interesting. series. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So she like has to become. She has to like do her research. Be like, right now she's trying to seduce this like her boss, who's like a gross forty, like fifty year old divorcee. And anyway, oh, totally. he's like super into darts, so she has to like become good at darts and. <laughs> That kind of reminds me of the time I told you it this last week, and I don't know if I've ever told it on here, but I have this sweater mm-hmm. that has, to me, magic eight balls on it. Yes. And I once went into a store. I It was like during Christmas time. I was trying to support local, you know? Good for so you. I went into like a game store. Uh, turns out they don't sell like any games except for magic the gathering or something <laughs> and i walked in the guy's like oh because i was like oh do you have like this game and he's like we don't and i was like oh okay and he's like oh so are you like really into pool <laughs> and, and i like, was like what i mean it's fine i guess and he's like that's so cool and i was like please don't talk to me about pool <laughs> <laughs> you're like sir where i is could this never from? fake darts i'm like right? oh. I know. Darts. I love darts. Darts are so fun. I'm you, the best you've ever seen. You throw them at the board. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, right, that's the best part. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that's my favorite too. My favorite part is when you just, it just sticks in there. Yes. <laughs> it doesn't even have to be in the middle. I like it when it sticks anywhere. <laughs> Sounds real dirty. Anyways. So Todd got me new headphones for Christmas. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Did you lose them already? No. Ah, I'm I so have, nervous. I have the headphones. Yes. Don't tell him, but. You lost the case? I can't find the case. <laughs> <laughs> I 
as of today. I think you can find the case on Find My iPhone. I tried to link them to Find My iPhone. I couldn't do it, so I gave up. So they're not even. I can't even. So now I have two dead AirPods <laughs> and no case. And do I you just, have your old case. Yeah, I mean, I could, but it's just annoying. Yeah, so I'm like, it has to be in the house. It has to be. Anyway, don't tell Todd. Todd, you know, if you heard that, no, you didn't. <laughs> <laughs> Todd, also, uh-huh. you get a lot of you get a lot of uh, bullying on here, and I apologize for that. He must not listen because he does not talk to me about it. <laughs> I Every- ask him, like, do you listen? He's like, yeah. I'm like, do you? Do you? Like, what do you think of my story this Todd, week? This is the secret word, so that I'll know you've listened. If you've listened this week... Fiddlesticks. Yeah. And I say, Todd, what's the secret password? And you don't say fiddlesticks? Couch. But you have to say fiddlesticks as you're getting into the mood. Oh, yeah. You got to work it into your dirty talk. (laughs) I'm not going to give him any ideas, so he has to be creative. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) It's, It's a fair thing. Yeah. But every time we like create a title that has something to do where we're teasing Todd, I always feel like a little bit bad. <laughs> when it was like blonde, like a child. <laughs> and then keep that bald chin up. <laughs> yeah. When I sent you the list last week, you didn't even hesitate. You were just like, keep that bald chin up. <laughs> oh my gosh. It just stood out at me. It was a good one. Yeah. He does not know that that was about him. No. Uh, we're at 21 minutes. Okay. Uh, who was first this week? Um, I think it's me. I'm going, you guys, I, I know you hear this every time, but I'm going through another uh, moment where I'm nervous that Christine and I are doing the same story. Well. And so if she starts and it's my story, I'm leaving. (laughs) (laughs) And I'll just do it with no partner. (laughs) Can you imagine? I, like, I quit. I know people do that. Like they do podcasts like just themselves, but I, oh, geez. Well, I say that, but I probably could talk at myself for a while. <laughs> Be like, that's so funny, right? I know. It's so hilarious. You're playing two parts. Okay. It's you first. Hot dang. Okay, good. The moment of truth. <laughs> okay, guys. In your mind's eye, let's go to Canada. Nope. Okay. Phew. <laughs> let's go to Canada. Wow. America's hat. What a swell place. Whoa, that's a nice toque on top of America. (laughs) Yeah, put that toque in your bag. Yeah, put it in your bag. (laughs) Eh? Yeah, eh. Um, Why don't you pack your pencil crayons? Is that what they call them? Yeah. (laughs) Whoa, weird. First off, what was that accent? They do call them pencil crayons. Canadian accent? I don't. I don't know. Uh, hey, look but, at that moose over there. Yes. Maple syrup spilling <laughs> from the trees. <laughs> Running in the streets. That's what it's like there. Do you know what I think of when I think of Canada? Do you remember a few years ago, back, mm-hmm. uh, there was like a viral video that happened where a lady came in and she like literally took a, it was at a Tim Hortons. She, I don't even remember what happened, but she literally took a dump in her hand <laughs> And threw it at the Tim Hortons workers and then took napkins and wiped her butt and threw those. No, lady. I think about that sometimes. And that is the mascot for Canada. Yeah, sorry, guys. (laughs) (laughs) That sucks. That's quite shitty, but we don't make the rules. To be fair, 
We don't have much better mascots. <laughs> no, I mean Pretty Florida much- man. Florida man. I think I'd rather have violence. The, the Canadian lady. <laughs> hmm. I'll pass. <laughs> but uh, Canada. Yeah. Uh, it is the home of Robin Sherbatsky. <gasps> yes. Let's go to the mall, everybody. Today. Yeah. If you haven't watched How I Met Your Mother, first of all, shame on you. Shame. Go do it now. Look at us in the eyes. Look at us. Uh-huh, look at both of us. We're shaming you. Okay. It's legend. Wait for it. Dairy. Dairy. <laughs> <laughs> I miss that show. I love it. Um. Okay. So it's very cold there. Mm-hmm. Like so damn cold. It's the hockey capital of the world, probably. Are you going to tell us the story of how Shania Twain became famous? Is she from Canada? <laughs> yeah. Let's think of other celebrities. Justin Bieber, Celine Dion. Uh, Sandra Bullock. Oh. I don't know. Ryan Reynolds. Oh. For sure Ryan Reynolds. I don't know about These are fun. Sandra Bullock. I, I don't know. Um, yeah. Well. See, brought us so many good things. That's right. <laughs> uh, including uh, sm- hockey smut books. Yeah. Okay. So what are Canadians famous for? We've said a shit ton of things already. Poutine. Oh, I've never had poutine. Have you had poutine? No. Sounds good, though. I, I does it? I don't know. I know you put it on fries and it just sounds, I don't know. Well, I mean, it's like cheese. Is, is it chunky? I feel like it's like, isn't it like cheesy gravy chunks? Yeah, but I feel like... I don't know. I always have this because, like, I'm not a big brown gravy gal. I'm a, like a white gravy gal. But if it was white gravy mm-hmm. with cheese on fries, I feel I'd like, be in that. I feel like it's brown. It is. I know. But oh. I'm just saying, like, I could go for a different kind of poutine. <laughs> <laughs> not the Canadian one. Not the Canadian one. Also, there's like this poutine. It's called poutine at Disneyland. Oh, at their like new hotel thingy they have, and it's um. Basically, fries with cheese curds and cheese on top. Yeah. I'm into that. Yeah. Why'd you? Uh, eh? I don't know. You don't know. like it cheese curds? Like curds. I don't like that word. Have you ever had squeaky oh, I'm cheese? I'm sorry you hate cheese. I like um, curds and whey. <laughs> Just like. <laughs> sorry, little Miss Muffin. <laughs> <laughs> it's a uh, cottage cheese. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Okay. Continue. Gosh, if you could just start your story, that'd be great. I know. So what are they famous for? Poutine, like I said. Yeah. And being nice. Canadians yeah. are so nice. They say, sorry about it. They do. They do say that. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, today, this story is going to disprove that. <gasps> sort of. Uh-oh. Mm-hmm. Today, I have quite a few Canadian friends. They're going to rally. Oh, they're going to hate everything I have to say. Oh. They're going to stand by me as well. Um, okay, so today we are going on a starlight tour. Sounds very magical and refreshing, yes? Like in a horse-drawn sleigh, bundled up with yeah. your hot cocoa in your mitten-covered glove, your fur-lined hood around your face. Your mitten-covered glove? Hand. <laughs> you could wear. You know when you wear a glove, but then it's just not enough, so you well, mitten up over like the top? It's like in Dumb and Dumber when he's like, you had two gloves this whole time? You do that to stay extra toasty on this starlight tour. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, you go out and you see the great Canadian open sky in all of its glory. Twinkle, twinkle, imagine it. Oh, the air kissing your cheeks. Beautiful. So much space because it's like such a big country, but so the few biggest. people. You guys want to hear a fun fact? We were doing trivia. That's what my kids love. They mm-hmm. love trivia. Mm-hmm. And Todd said, what is the longest border between two countries? You guys... The answer is Canada and the United States. Wow. We just are spooning all We're the live spooning. long day. We are. And did you know that they're like the population of Can or of California is more than that of Canada? 
the whole country. It is an uninhabitable wasteland. It is. <laughs> and, Cal- <laughs> and California is so also, overpopulated. Yeah, California is like also a wasteland. Oh, but I love it. I know, me too. I love California. <laughs> but I just want to live okay. there. <laughs> but also I don't. Also, Californians, stop coming to Utah. Thank you so much. I'll trade you places. <laughs> <I know>. Anyway. <laughs> This Starlight Tour that we're going on is far less magical, and it's more of a horrific nightmare. Oh. Does this sound familiar to you no. at all? Okay. Well, in Canada, we're going to be talking about the indigenous people, the First Nations, <sighs> the Inuit. Does it make sense to you yeah. now? Mm. Okay. So there's the First Nations, the Inuits, and then the Metis. I'm so sorry. I don't know how to say that. Mm-hmm. Um, in Canada, they have long known that the police cannot be trusted and that Canada has a pretty problematic history overall. But, like, who doesn't? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> um, We're a bad example. Yeah. So I was like, we can't throw stones. No. But it took until the early 2000s for one of the more horrific police practices targeting indigenous communities known as Starlight Tours to be investigated. Um, But police, there was like no paper trail of these things happening. So there was like no evidence for convictions or anything like that. Yikes. Okay. So although the indigenous population of Canada numbered in the hundreds of thousands before the European colonization like the United States, Mm -hmm. Uh, those numbers have fallen to about um, 125,000 recorded individuals as of 1876, which means it's even lower now, which is very small. Right? Very small. Um, So Canada's indigenous people have fought against diseases like smallpox, Mm -hmm. uh, like warfare, the assimilation measures like also being forced upon them like they were in the United States. So like basically forcing them out of their own land and homes. Yeah. Which is shitty. Okay, so Canada identifies the three broad groups, the indigenous people as, like I said, First Nations, Inuit, and then Metis. I'm so sorry. Um, So they are legally differentiated depending on their ancestry. So while Mm -hmm. Canada chose assimilation and segregation compared to the United States' policy, which was um, extermination. Oh. What the F, America? Yeah. Why would we do that? Real cool. Hey, you live here? How about you don't? Hey, guess what? I'm here now. (laughs) Yeah. But nothing sounds more American. It's just embarrassing. It's the most American. (laughs) Um, Okay. So indigenous people continue to be oppressed by systemic racism. Mm -hmm. And under the 1876 Indian Act, according to Canadian Encyclopedia... Uh, many First Nations people were confined to reservations like their indigenous neighbors in America. We mm-hmm. still have Indian reservations to yes. this day. Yes. Um, the Canadian government implemented a myriad of regulation controls to limit the indigenous peoples that was like designed to crush their way of life. Ugh. And I was like, sad. Why can we just not honor people's traditions? I know. You guys, they're so beautiful. Right? And, like, we all came from somewhere else. So, like, right? we, all of our ancestors had different traditions. Absolutely. I just, I'm like, I don't get it. I don't. I can't. Okay. So, 1886, the Indian Act. Uh, so, they, they mandated Indian residential schools. So, they were mandatory for indigenous children. Thousands of children were uh, isolated from their communities and traditions in an unhealthy and dangerous school. So according to the, the Independent newspaper, over 3,000 children are 
recorded to have died as a result of horrifying abuse they experienced at the schools. Oh my gosh. Yep, and at least a dozen died in an attempt to escape. Um, so the last federally run school wasn't closed until 1996. Oh my gosh. I said, ah, I'm screaming. What? What? I never heard of that. No. I, that makes me sick. 3,000 when there's only 125,000 to be, you know, less than that probably. It's not okay. Like how? It's not okay. I mean, I don't know anything about this, but if I yeah. learned anything from Yellowstone, did you watch Yellowstone? No, I still need to. Well, it's um so they touch on it a little bit. There's like an Indian reservation nearby and like the Indian reservation like has their own police and so like things get really messy between like the reservation police and then like the state police. It's just totally. like sounds like a freaking nightmare. Yeah. I don't know what the how to fix it, obviously, but yeah. uh it's broken. <sighs> Okay, so long history of mistreatment. Yeah. In Canada. Yeah. Um, okay, so the city of Saskatoon mm-hmm. had weirdly a lot of freezing deaths in the month of January in the year 2000. Y2K, everybody's stressed. Yeah. People are just freezing to death in Saskatoon. Oh, Saskatoon. Sask- Saskatonian. Uh, Okay, so over the space of a couple weeks, we would, this is a reporter, his name is Dan Zareski. Uh, He says, it was sadly, sorry, over the space of a couple weeks, we would get these sort of sadly typical news releases from the city police that went along the lines of, you know, a 28-year-old person found froze to death. And these were, like, general circumstances. They weren't naming them because it was a nonviolent death, so they would just, like, yeah, you know, bring it up on the news or whatever. Yeah. And that's just how they handled it, he said. He right. was a – Dan Zareski was a reporter for CBC. Canadian Broadcasting Channel. Central Channel, yes. Mm-hmm. In 2000, he worked for the Star Phoenix newspaper in Saskatoon, Canada. Mm-hmm. He says it was a post-Christmas newsroom slow – oh, so – Post-Christmas newsroom is, like, very slow. There's not much going on. Yeah. So he said, I was assigned to take a look at these freezing deaths and um, where the bo- – the <clears throat> sorry. Where the body was found was by the city landfill, which is in sort of the southwest section of the city. It's relatively isolated for the city, so I was assigned to put together a sort of, like, best practices story on, on, like, how to have this not happen to you. Yeah. He says, uh, one, don't be drunk and try to walk home and develop a, he was like just developing a little bit of a feature on the individual who was frozen. Um, so they were trying to put a human face on it. Uh, so they began, he said he began to do his research and it started off by trying to find out the individual's name. Yeah. Um, since it wasn't released and it turned out to be a guy named Lawrence Wenger, Wegner, Wegner. Uh, who was a social work student there in the town. And so he started reaching out to the victim's family, trying to find out his background. So while he was in the process of researching that, his city editor had gotten, uh, at the time, what seemed like absolutely improbable tip that the city police had been dropping people off outside of town. Oh. Like First Nations people specifically. Yeah. Yeah. And he's like, what? No, that's too, that's horrible. They wouldn't do that. Right? They would never. You don't want to believe that that You really thing, don't. Like, your mind is just like, oh, please, no. Yes, you're <laughs> like, that's like a bad, like, from a, like a TV show. That's totally. That's not real life. 
Okay. So uh, they were no, what's known as starlight tours, starlight cruises, or midnight rides. Um, what year is this? This was in 2000. Oh, my gosh. That's like, it's so recent. Yeah, it was like five minutes ago. Oh, uh, yeah, so this appalling practice involved a police officer driving an indigenous person to the city outskirts and leaving them there to, as Human Rights Watch reports, walk in the dead of winter risking death by hypothermia. Oh my gosh. So this victim, Lawrence Wagner, was a 30-year-old First Nations member. His body was found frozen to death on February 3rd, but as the reporter learned that he had gone missing three days before that... Uh, the reporter, Dan, wanted to know when he, who had last seen him, so he started knocking on doors. Yeah. One of the doors that he knocked on was a woman named Eliza Whitecap. He says, I knocked on her doorway and I said, oh, you know, oh, have you heard anything about this? And the woman said that she did know Lawrence Wagner and she was actually his aunt. (gasps) Yep. So... Uh, she goes, as a matter of fact, the night that he had gone missing that evening, that freezing cold evening, that's a lot of evenings, uh, he had knocked on my door and my daughter had answered it and he was clearly under the influence of some kind of like drug or alcohol because he was basically in his short sleeves and jeans and he was yelling pizza, pizza. (laughs) I mean, fair. (laughs) Who doesn't love pizza? It's got bread. And I like it. It's bread. And it's what bread are we and for? Mm-hmm. We love both of those mm-hmm. things. Put some poutine on there, probably. Mm, probably not. <laughs> <laughs> probably never in that I situation. I mean, he could be saying worse things, but she's like, oh, what am I going to do? Oh, I know. I'm just going to call the police. <gasps> she says, uh, Eliza, uh, she called the police and she said the 911 operator told her that somebody else had already been called about him because he was apparently like, you know, just being drunk and disorderly. Yeah. So the police had been dispatched. So that was a really terrible aha moment because I had a clear connection involving the police and Mr. Wegner that he had come into contact with the police the night he died. And I was like, his own aunt called the police. Right? I was like, I mean, if if my family member showed up being drunk and whatever, even if it had happened a million times. Well, and like the worst thing he was doing was yelling pizza. Right? I know. I'm like, just let him yell in front of your house. I'm just like, call his parents, call his family. Like, I wouldn't be like, you know what? My nephew, I'm calling 911. You're being outrageous. Do you know what I would do? What? I'd get freaking pizza. I know. I'd be like, you're right. <laughs> like, Papa, pizza. Papa pizza. John. <laughs> Can you bring pizza? My nephew needs to sober up. Yes. Anyway, I was like, bitch, aunt, I don't like that. (sighs) Whatever. So now he has a connection between the cops and the Lawrence. Yeah. So Lawrence was found in a rural, you should look up. It's actually really sad. He's just like laying face down in the snow and like, it's just, and it's black and white. It's the 90s or I guess it's the 2000s. It's just a bummer. Okay, so he was in a remote industrial area by our power plant, a place that nobody would, like, walk. Like, it's clear out in the middle. Yeah. Like, how would you even get there? you get there by driving. Oh, I'll tell you. By police car. <laughs> police escort. <laughs> um, especially in the winter. You wouldn't see people that way. Oh um, gosh, so, so sad. he started looking into this and noticed that another freezing death had been reported in the same area. Another First Nations man named Rodney Nastus. And he had been found on January 29th, and then the other guy was found on the 3rd. Wow. So, and he had been gone for three days. So they basically, right right around the same day, it seems. So the two men's bodies were both frozen to death. 
found in the same area. Yeah, that's not coincidence. In the same week. So then on February 4th, a man came forward and said that he had been dropped off on the outskirts of town, but he made it back alive. What? We've got a survivor. What do I love? to hear it. A survivor. Yes. Okay, this guy's name was Daryl Knight. He was a First Nations man. He was 33 years old at the time. Uh, and the, the police, the Saskatoon police, were well acquainted with, uh, with Daryl. Yeah. He was getting picked up frequently by them. He was like always pretty drunk and aggressive and abusive. So he would be put in the cruiser, would be taken downtown, spend the night in the drunk tank, and then he'd be released the next day. They mm-hmm. said it was like lather, rinse, repeat. Like he had done it so many times. Totally. So in the early hours of January 28th, so the day before that guy's body was found. Oh my gosh. The um, He had been at his uncle's apartment. They had a fight around dawn. Two police officers found Daryl um, outside of the apartment intoxicated and yelling. Daryl Knight later said that the pl- police officers handcuffed him and put him in the back seat. Mm. Okay. So on his account... He says that he was put in the back of the cruiser and then he knew almost immediately that he wasn't being driven to the police station because he's like, I could drive there in my sleep. Like, I've gone there a million totally. times. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, because he, they were going in the exact opposite directions. Yikes. So he says, I recall speaking to him and he said in the car, it got real quiet, you know, like he realized something was up and he was like uh, concerned that he He's like, are they going to take me somewhere and, like, beat the shit out of me? Right. Like, what are we doing? Is he, He's like, am I going to be shot? He didn't know what was happening. And he's, so. All he knows is that something feels off. Yeah. He's like, yeah. this is weird. So he's like, you're in the cruiser. You think the cruiser might be going north and it's going south. And instead of heading towards the bright lights, you're heading out into the darkness. And you've got two police officers in the front seat who aren't talking to you. And they're just driving. It was a terrifying experience. Yeah, that feels uncomfy. Yeah, exactly. Because you're like, I literally can't do anything. Totally. So um, Daryl later said that police drove him to a remote area and told him to get out of the car. And he told the police that he thought he would freeze to death. And according to Daryl, one of the police officers says, that's your effing problem. (gasps) And they said, like, get out of here, you effing Indian. No! Yes. So um, the police car drove away. And he's like, I thought I was dead. I thought all those rumors I heard in the past, they were all coming true. Because like, yeah, the starlight tours were a poorly kept secret. Mm. Or like people were like, it's a legend. It's not true. And he's like, mm, it's starting to feel not Starting so to feel like super real. Yeah. <laughs> Later, uh, the two police officers, their names were Munson, Mon- Munson and Hatchin. They were. Eddie, Eddie Munson? Yeah, he did it. Can you believe it? Uh, they were asked to explain their actions, and they claimed that Daryl wanted to be dropped off there to walk off his anger. And um, like he said, look, guys, drop me off anywhere. Just don't take me in and charge me. Mm. They're like, cool, we'll just take you like, right, we'll just drop you off right here. Yeah, because like, you know, this guy who's like grown up in Canada and like knows that winters are freaking cold. He's like, how about you drop me in the middle of nowhere? Right. And even if he did say that, it is like super irresponsible. Yeah, you're like, um, no, I'm not going to be doing you that. here like this. Yep. So, uh, okay. So he's dropped off. He's in the middle of nowhere. So he's finding his way and he comes across the power station and he caught the attention of the night security guard who 
let him in and then he called a taxi. Um, he had walked for two miles. Right? Whoa. Right? I, what? That like gives me the willies. Yeah. Okay, so he made it home, becoming one of the only reported survivors of a Starlight tour. That's all. Yeah, so he filed a report. Um, Canada reports that they didn't, ex- he, he expected that he didn't, <clears throat> he expected nobody would believe him. Mm-hmm. But within days, the frozen bodies of two, so he made his report and then the two bodies were found. Yeah, that's the thing is like, yeah, okay, you're so- <laughs> Like, it's like you talk to the police. They're like, he wanted to be dropped off there. You're like, okay, well, what about these other guys that were out there? <laughs> they also they wanted also, it. It's a very popular spot for people to want to walk off their anger. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, okay. Do, do, do. They so, said, "Put drop me off here. I think there's a good pizza place here. <laughs> it's like, pizza, pizza. <laughs> okay, so as a result of the bodies being found, he asked the Daryl, he asked for a full report. He's like, I want you to look into this. Yeah. So he started setting off a chain of events that included reopening a case from 1990, the Stone Child case. Oh, no. Revealing to the public the extent of this police practice. Yikes. Okay. So when they, in the 2000, the year 2000, when they first started reporting on this phenomenon that was happening, um, I remember a First Nations guy telling me, like, oh, that was just a star tour. And we'd heard versions of this in the past, like the idea that police would pick up a person who's intoxicated. Mm-hmm. They didn't want to take them to the station because it involves a lot of paperwork. They toss them in jail. And so they're like, oh, instead, I'll just take you, instead of taking you to the police station and charging you, we'll just take you somewhere else and you can walk it off. So it's kind of like an open secret. Wow. And what's problematic is that when you're dealing with somebody who's really intoxicated and it's 30 below and you take them somewhere that they might not be able to make it back from. I don't want you to drop me off anywhere if it's under 70 degrees. (laughs) Truly. I don't want to walk outside. Never. No. That's not what I want. And also if it's above 83 degrees, I also don't want to be walking. Is this like negative 30 Celsius? Uh, yeah, they're going off Celsius, but we'll talk about okay. it. Okay, I'm interested in that. Okay, um, so they presented it to us, like the tip the police had in fact done this, taken a person to the edge of town when it's really cold weather, dropped them off and made them walk back in, blah, blah. Yeah. We already know that. Okay. Although um, most well-known incidents occurred in like 1990 and thereafter, the first Star Tour is like the earliest one is recorded as 1976. Oh. So it went on for a long time. Way too long. Long time. Mm-hmm. Okay. So like we're talking very cold weather in Saskatoon in January. Like what are the temperatures like? Yeah. Uh, he's like, oh, if I had to guess, like it's typically around somewhere 40 below, which as you know, 40 below Celsius and 40 below Fahrenheit is the same apparently what i didn't they're like as you know as you of course that's where they intersect obviously yeah i didn't know that so todd went to minnesota a couple of years ago and it was during a polar vortex oh gosh never and it was negative 40 no yeah i was like are you okay and he says that as soon as you walk outside the air is so cold you immediately start coughing because uh, it like hurts your lungs do you walk outside and you instantly you freeze because that's what i imagine <laughs> can't even imagine that kind of cold. I know. I know. Especially because like Minnesota, it's like humid too. It's right. It's like a humid cold. Yeah, that's why it hurts your lungs because it's like breathing in like ice air. I don't know. Oh! 
Yeah, and he said it was like your eyes hurt. Even when you go outside when it's cold here, like it freezes up your nose. Yes. I can't even imagine. Your yeah, your eyes have like liquid in them. How they're like instantly frozen. Yeah, your eyes are stuck open. You go back into the building, and you're like, I can't close my eyes. <laughs> oh my gosh. They're like, blink them for Well, <laughs> our our collective boyfriend, Travis Kelsey, just had to play in like negative 20. <sighs> Taylor Swift was there and they like zoomed in on the coach and he had like his mustache was frozen. And no. I was like, ew, it looked like snot. I know it wasn't, but it looked like it because he's yeah. like, you know, it's condensation from his nostrils. Mustaches. <laughs> Thanks, Todd. Thanks for not growing facial hair. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It repulses me because Todd can't do it and it's not hot, you know? Ew, Okay. La, la, la. <laughs> okay, so some people, some people believe that Starlight Tours aren't inherently sinister. And instead, they grew out of police frustration at dealing with repeat offenders. Like our survivor, who was like going to the drunk tank constantly. So they're like, I'm sorry. We're going to teach you a lesson. That's not the way it's done. It's not. Okay, so since the police um, said they were out, they were targeting drunk and rowdy and First Nation individuals, uh, the practice would have been intended to avoid booking people. So they're like, we're doing you a kindness. We're not going to put this on your record. You're just going to walk it off. Yeah. Which I'm like, I could see like in Friday Night Lights, a coach, he made them do something similar. Made yeah. them walk but back. Like, but like. That if it's a nice weather day and you're like, hey, man, like, let's take a walk. Yes, Like, let's exactly. de-escalate you. That's so different than, hey, it's negative 30 out here. Good luck. Good luck exactly. and see you later. Yes. Uh, so they're like, this will help them sober up. And then they're not they're not having it on the record. We'll all Well, like, better. that guy was a repeat offender. But, like, are these other people repeat offenders? Didn't seem like Maybe. It. Maybe, maybe not. So, um, yeah, they're <coughs> like, this practice is just blatant abuse by mm-hmm. the police force. Yeah. And, yeah, like you said, like, in warmer months, it's still awful. It puts a person in danger of being killed by a serial killer. Totally. Uh, being hit by a car. Getting eaten by a bear or whatever Canadian shenanigans you can find. Yeah. But uh, in that kind of cold weather, it's the death sentence. Oh, totally. And they obviously knew that. Okay. Like I said, the first recorded Starlight tour was in May 22nd, 1976, which May in Canada apparently is still cold. I don't know. Okay. Forget everything I've said. We're going to 1976. We're starting this story over. <laughs> from, the, from the top. Okay. So... An eight months pregnant woman and two men were taken from a party at const- by Constable Ken King. Apparently, that's a bar. I don't know. And they were driven to the outskirts of the city and dropped off on the isolated Queen Elizabeth Power Station near South Saskatoon. Saskatchewan. Saskatchewan, yeah. Yes. And uh, but it was by the Saskatchewan <laughs> River. <laughs> Saskatchewan. <laughs> I'm not hearing a difference. (laughs) They were by that river. They said, hey, Sasquatch. And they were forced to walk back in deadly freezing temperatures. Good thing Sasquatch was there to Good thing. He gave them a bear hug and they all stayed warm. He was actually the father of the baby. The eight-month pregnant woman. (laughs) Ah, Okay. Yeah, so it was like a typical drop-off point, whatever. These three people survived the experience, luckily, and the baby. A freaking pregnant woman. Right? 
like what is wrong okay yep so he drove them out of the city limits for, as punishment for having uh liquor in a place other than a dwelling but they didn't charge them with that they charged them with uh discreditable conduct oh sorry the police they weren't charged with anything other than uh, neglect of duty, and so they denied the charges, but they were found guilty and fined two hundred dollars, which back then was like uh, a week's pay. But like nothing happened, no yeah. action. But these cool. people survived. So yeah, okay. So now the story of Neil Stonechild. He is a very important kid in this case. So he was a First Nation teenager who was found frozen in a field on the outskirts of Saskatoon in nineteen ninety. Um. Police claimed that he was responsible for his own death and that he had clearly, though he had been injured, not just frozen to death. What? So according to the report, uh, there was an inquiry relating to the death of Neil Stonechild. While pathologists who examined his remains determined his cause of death was hypothermia, the Saskatoon Police Service decided that there was no evidence of foul play. So then, years later... On January 29th, 2000, uh, the day after our survival Daryl's Knight abduction, the body of Rodney was discovered. Uh, yeah, and so the end Lawrence. So, like, the, now there's the three, two frozen people and then yeah. one guy that survived. Okay? Yeah. Inclu- and then the fourth guy, including the kid from 1990. Okay, we're all on the same page. Yeah. Yeah, so they were, the bodies were just found too close together that, like, the police even had to finally investigate themselves. Mm. They're like, oh, shit. You guys got to communicate. If you're leaving a guy there and then you're leaving a guy there, you got a radio, so we know. How do you, like, investigate? I know. That's- you have to call no. in, like, state police You would something. have, yeah, that's not, okay. Okay, I'm like, way to go, police idiots. You shot yourself in the foot there. Okay, so Jason Roy, a friend of Neil Stonechild, the kid from 1990, yeah. had been present when Neil was taken into custody. Roy testified in 2003, so like 13 years later or whatever, mm-hmm. uh, that he had seen his friend in the back of a police cruiser with a cut on his face and the police, and he was screaming out to his friend that the police were going to kill him. Oh so God. Roy had claimed that he told several people Almost anybody that would listen, including his family members, a priest, and multiple police officers about what happened that day. And he testified that police and authorities said twice that they would call him back, but they never did. Yeah. I said, gasp! He did the right thing. Totally. And, like, the police, you know, they were like, hmm, I don't know what you're talking Just about. brushed it off, yeah. Yep, they're like, shh, 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 you didn't see anything. Well, and I hate this stuff, too, because it's just like, you feel like these are people, these are the people you call when you're in trouble. Exactly, and if you can't call them, and that's like an overlying theme, is that like First Nations people do not trust the police in Canada. Totally. And I'm like, how could you? You couldn't. Yeah. Okay, so the friend, uh, Jason Roy, gave his witness testimony in 2003 and discussed how he had difficulty finding anybody to listen to him or believe his story and he felt in fear for his life and stated that police had followed him closely for some time after Mm -hmm. and the priest testified under oath that due to certain circumstances that he had helped the roy family by relocating them to a safe house so like the the priest is like you gotta get out of here like you're not safe now um i said yay for a helpful priest yeah Yep, so the Royal Canadian Mounted Police then entered Jason and his family into witness protection. 
So they went into witness protection. Wow. Yep. So the 2003 inquiry into the death of Neil Stonechild and then the other freezing deaths, uh, the, the community was like, hey, can we like do something about this? Yeah. So um, officers Dan Hatchin and Ken Munson, Eddie Munson's brother. Yeah, yeah. Both of whom had been implicated in the death of Stonechild. Uh, they chose an all-white jury in mm. November 2004. Uh, Seems fair. Yep. And then the two other police officers, which we never mentioned them before, but they were Hartwig and Senger. They were fired from duty. Despite appealing their dismissal, they were rejected. Mm. However, no criminal charges were ever filed. And as of 2021, no police officer has ever been uh, convicted of a Starlight tour. That's crazy. Yep. Even when Hatchin and Munson were jailed, they were merely convicted of unlawful confinement. And What? Yeah. And they only served, each served less than a year. I think it was like eight months. Mm, awesome. And I said, the audacity. Truly. But it's something, I guess. I guess. I mean, does it help? No. No. Okay. So. The all-white jury is like... <laughs> I don't believe this because I haven't had a single friend I know who's like, had this Racism? Happen. I've never seen it. Yeah. Okay. I always get treated with complete respect. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, and so then, like I said, all those cops had things happen to them. And then somebody named Dan Wicks, he, had, he was found that he had not conducted a proper investigation into the death of Neil Stonechild, the kid from the 90s. Um... While they were all found guilty in some capacity, the majority of the officers involved received little to no punishment, which is, like, not surprising. So in 2016, an 18-year-old university student named Addison Herman, she was researching police brutality. And when he realized that the section about the Starlight Tours on the Saskatoon's Police Services Wikipedia page had been deleted. Oh, yeah, since the IP addresses were recorded whenever somebody makes a change to Wikipedia, they easily discovered that the change had come from the Saskatoon Police Service itself. Oh, interesting. <laughs> yeah, like revisionist history yeah, much. Like, no, no, not, not like, us. That's, we don't want to talk about that. Yeah. Yeah, so the inquiry into Daryl Knight's incident, however, did result in the conviction. Oh, I already told you that. Which they got eight months in prison. The maximum was 10 years. So they basically got nothing. Wow. Yep. So uh, he eventually left Saskatoon and moved to British Columbia as he found it incredibly difficult to recover from his traumatic experience while staying in the same environment where it happened. Absolutely. Yep. So tragically, uh, Lawrence, what's his name? The survivor. Sorry. I just have his last name. I know, I hate when they do that. And you're like, yeah. Uh, he continues to have trouble um, hearing and communicating. Daryl. Daryl ha- continues having trouble hearing and communicating as a result of his Starlight tour. He says that he has never received an apology from the police for what was done to him. Of course not. No. They're deleting the, they're the, deleting Wikipedia pages. Yep. yep. So police chief Russell Sabo admits, he said, um, That it happened more than once. We fully admit that. And in fact, on behalf of the police department, I want to apologize. It is quite conceivable that there were other times. I think it's important that we take ownership when we do something wrong and correct the behavior. 
Yeah. I mean, not helpful. No. It's the absolute least you can do. The very least. Anyway, despite the fact that many stories like this have happened, it's difficult to find physical records of these encounters because nobody ever documented anything. Totally. And as a result, they'll never know how many people have died as a result of Starlight Tours. That's really sad. And And that's very upsetting. The end. Ugh. I just hate it. And I hate that, like, yeah. Yep. Uh, My sources were The Messed Up Truth of Canada's Starlight Tours by grunge.com. And This is Criminal Starlight Tours. That's a podcast episode Mm -hmm. by Phoebe Judge. And and all that's interesting article. I just googed. I don't know. Everything. You just googed. I just just googed and then googed some more. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. This is the way that I get most of my stuff done. Yeah. So um, go put on your woolly socks and uh, be thankful that you're toasty warm. I know. Oh. Right? Just awful. And like I said, it's just like so sad and such a bummer that like if you're going to be in a position of authority, like why wouldn't you want to help people? Like, help people. Even the people who are belligerent and obnoxious. Oh, my gosh. Especially. It's literally your job. I just even think about, like, you know, it's the same with children. Like, don't be a teacher if you hate some of the kids. Like, Right? Yes. You can't. Like, I'm sure there's going to be people who piss you off or annoy you or whatever. Mm-hmm. But, like, you can't. Just be like, every kid that has brown hair pisses me off. Or every... <laughs> right. You know, like... You have to have the disposition for whatever job you're choosing. Absolutely. And the sad thing about police officers is, like, a lot of them just, like, want power. And mm-hmm. then they have it. And then they're really shitty with it. Yeah. That's what sucks. Yeah. Because, like, a lot of serial killers wanted to be police officers, but they... That's always terrifying. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well, thank you for that. You're welcome. Oh, I guess well, it didn't end up being as long as I thought. I'm really glad that it, you didn't do the same story as me. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> well, mine always, I'll, I'll tell you why I always get nervous on things like this, but we'll we'll dive right in first. Okay. But, um. Ever since I said that story, now my feet are freezing. I know. Like, that story made me cold. <laughs> it was like, like watching Frozen for the first time in the theater. I was like, I'm freezing. Like, <laughs> looking at snow, thinking yes. about snow. I'm not a fan. Not I'm a fan. not a fan. Why of the do we snow? live here? I was bored here, and I think it was a mistake. <laughs> this was not meant to happen. I'm almost positive of it. I was meant for elsewhere. Absolutely. As I said before the podcast, I am preparing to go on a short weekend vacation. Fun. Uh, so exciting. But with um, airplanes being in the news a lot more recently, mm. mm-hmm. you know, yes. and with me about to take a plane ride. I thought, why not dive into a scary plane story? Yay! Um, maybe not as scary as Malaysian Airlines. Oh, thank goodness. Literally that, just like, haunted vanishing. Me. Yeah, that made me feel things, too. Like, it made me feel, like, so stressed <sighs> and cold and scared. But still. And black. Like, so much black. Oh, my gosh. Like, where? Where are they? What's happening? What? No. Flying over a black ocean at night? Ugh. No. And then just gone. Beep. The- Off the radar. Beep. Gone. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so today I'm going to tell you tell me. the mysterious case of D.B. Cooper. Ah! 
This I'm is sure like most of you have heard it. But classic. Why not? <laughs> I feel like I never remember the details. I never do either. Like I've definitely heard the story multiple times. And then even today when I was like prepping it, I was like, why do I always forget this stuff? I know. So it's fun. Okay. It's super fun. Uh, and it's only fun because nobody's hurt. Yeah. And it's just weird. It's so bizarre. Mystery. <sighs> so picture in your mind's eye. I'm there. November 24th. Mm, cold. It's the day before Thanksgiving. So much brown. Ugh, so much tur- turkey. Mm-hmm. Cornucopias. Baskets. Uh, yeah, potatoes. There's just a spread. Now I'm just thinking of snow as just mashed potatoes. <laughs> <laughs> mm, but it's like warm and has butter sliding all over it. What if snow was potato flakes? That would be nice. It's better than the asbestos that was in um, Wizard of Oz. That's what they used for snow. Oh, <laughs> yeah, that's not great. I need to talk about that movie. You should. That would be great. Um, there's another one that I think you need to do, and I'll talk to you about that later. But. Okay. So, day before Thanksgiving. Yeah. A man who could literally be any man, really. Anyone. Yeah, nothing particularly stand out about him. Yeah. Okay. Forgettable face. <laughs> forgettable face, forgettable eyes, forgettable nose. You're just like, describe him and you're like, mm. bland. You're like, <laughs> man. He looked like a, <laughs> if shredded wheat was a person. <laughs> not even the frosted kind. No. It's just that not special. Yeah. They're like. He had eyes and a, like a like a face. Probably had a nose. Yeah, <laughs> I think I'm imagining he could or him could now. not be have been wearing sunglasses. I feel like this guy was probably wearing like a brown suit. <laughs> he is. Okay, so uh, he did look to be in his mid forties. Okay, about six feet tall. And one thing is, he kind of looked like he stepped out of a James Bond movie. Uh, People described him as having brown eyes, dark, slicked back hair, and a nice black-brown suit. Um, (laughs) Was it tweed? Please let it be tweed. I hope so. It did not tell me that, but I wish. Corduroy suit. (laughs) Ooh! I love a corduroy suit. (laughs) So stiff. (sighs) Ah. Just really sink into his, it. His white shirt was so starchy. Mm. It like you had to like, like, like oh, gosh. mash your arms through. There's nothing I hate more than wearing because I'm broad through the shoulders. Wearing a jacket <laughs> that's too tight and I feel like I can't move Ooh. my arms. <laughs> Stress. Oh, but this yeah. was back in the days where like everyone dressed then their Sunday best to fly. Absolutely. I can't understand it. I know. It was like a fancy experience. I'm like, oh. It's my flight tomorrow. Which pair of sweats will I be wearing? 1,000%. What shoes will be the easiest to slip on and off? Exactly. Slippers? 100%. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Yeah, you wore slippers today. I sure did. You and Kate have the same pair. She got the purple ones too. I know. I love it. I saw that on like one of your stories or something. I was Mm -hmm. like, hey, girl. Matchy. So, um, black brown suit. Probably tweed, probably the itchiest material, and that's why you had to starch those shirts up, because it was like, if you don't, you're going to feel all those itchy fibers. Oh, yeah. So. Like two inches of straight starch. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, a black, a thin black tie. Ooh, a skinny tie kind of guy. Yeah, and he was wearing a black raincoat. 
you know, some people may find it controversial. Black with brown, how do you feel? I don't mind it. I don't mind I, it either. I knew it's it was the cardinal sin in the 90s, but now but this I'm is like, the 70s, the you seven, know? Yeah, I'm like, break the rules. Yeah. D.B. Cooper. I'm going to be like D.B. Cooper. They're like, oh, are you wearing black and brown? I'm like, yeah, I'm pulling a goddamn D.B. Cooper. <laughs> <laughs> who are you wearing? Oh my gosh, who are you wearing? This is a goddamn D.B. Cooper. <laughs> I feel like we have to do a photo shoot, just black and brown. <laughs> like raincoat. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Be on the lookout. <laughs> we watch for that. Okay. Uh, brown suit, black thin tie, black raincoat, brown shoes. He's <laughs> mm-hmm. going with the theme here. Carrying a briefcase. And a brown paper bag. A black briefcase, brown paper bag. <laughs> he really has an aesthetic and he, he is sure sticking to it. Does. It's a DB Cooper. If he was a Pinterest page. Okay, really quick, before you move on, we were talking about uh the aesthetic of DB yes. Cooper. Yes. I found a video that's that like we're not doing clean girl anymore. We're doing mob wife, which is like fur coats, <laughs> sunglasses. Which I'm here for. But then oh, I just it. posted it today. They're like, this year we're doing Bewildered Mailman. <gasps> and I was like, I love it. What is that? It's like <laughs> Adam Sandler, kind of. But it's like cargo shorts and like a button down. Because you know how like dad jeans were in yeah. and like dad sneakers. It's like that, but Mailman. Oh. And there was a couple other ones that made me laugh. One was like Court Jester. And it was like <laughs> flare jeans, basically a clown outfit. I love it. So, I mean, D.B. Cooper aesthetic, we love to see it. Yeah. Black we're and gonna, brown. We're going to bring it back. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Okay. So, he walks into the airport. All right? Okay. Just imagine this. He buys a ticket for $20. What? You can't even get a bottle of water for $20 at the airport. <laughs> Truly. For Northwest Orient Airlines. That doesn't exist. It doesn't exist anymore. Okay. They didn't do well after this, I'm assuming. They must not have. <laughs> Flight 305. That was the last one. <laughs> it was the last one. Uh, it was a 30-minute flight. Whoa. He's like, you got to work quickly. <laughs> I didn't even know that they there were even flights that are that short. Oh, when I was in North Carolina, I took a 20-minute flight. You did? <laughs> yes. From where to where? Uh, Charlotte to, um, what was the other one? It was CLT was the... <laughs> Was the airport name? I can't think of what it's called. Connecticut, maybe. Yeah. No, it was. It was still in uh, uh, North Carolina. It was just a smaller one. Clit. Clit. <laughs> she flew right into Clit. I flew. I found the Clit. <laughs> <laughs> so I just feel like you just would like. They're like, all right, we're ascending. And then they're like, and now we're doing. He's like, I'm gonna hijack this bitch in 30 minutes. Totally. Wow, I'm impressed. Are you turned on a little bit? Kind of. <laughs> like, he looks like human Wheaties. <laughs> he wears black and brown Ooh. and tweed. Yeah. And he can do things in 30 minutes. Yeah. If his shirt, his suit brushes up against you, you for, you're for sure getting a rash. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, say more. <laughs> mm. Mm. So, 30-minute trip north to Seattle, Seattle-Tacoma International Airport. Um, but like, can you even imagine a $20 ticket? What a dream. It's a dollar a minute. That's kind of expensive. Right? 
But they're living back in the day, to be fair. Minimum wage was $1.60 then. Hey! Mm-hmm. It's quite pricey. I know. I mean, still, I feel I'm like, flights are so damn expensive. They really are. That's why we don't go anywhere. I like just want to barf every time I book a ticket somewhere. I'm like, ugh. Right? <laughs> but and you can also, get I don't want to drive, so. <sighs> it's tough shit. It, it really is. is. <laughs> <laughs> or you just don't travel. Or so. you just don't, and you'd be bitter about where you live. Which is <laughs> like, what I hate it here. All right. So, but little did anyone know mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that this was the beginning of one of the greatest unsolved mysteries in U.S. history. Still unsolved. Bum, bum, bum. Wait. <gasps> I thought about doing that. Okay. <laughs> so, on this man's ticket, is it because of the more recent stuff? I know. That's why I was nervous. I'm nodding. <laughs> That's why I was nervous. That makes sense. That makes sense. Okay, so on this man's ticket was listed the name Dan Cooper. Dan. Dan. So once the flight takes off, Mm -hmm. I just put once the flight. (laughs) You fill in the blank there. Once the flight, our pal Dan. (laughs) So once the flight takes off, once he is on the flight, he settles into his seat. Mm -hmm. Seat 18E. He's in the last row, and he orders himself a bourbon and 7-Up. Okay? Whoa. So, something else wild about the story is there's six crew members on this plane, mm-hmm. and the, there's 36 passengers. It's a little small plane. No, it's not. Oh. So, I looked up the plane. 17 rows doesn't seem like that small, but maybe they had bigger, like... Yeah, I mean, I, always- I don't know, but there's about 149 seats. Oh, okay. And there's like a possibility that it, like, maybe it was a little bit smaller than 149 seats, but it did, like, the things I was reading said that um, the flight was only about a third full. Have you ever been on a flight that has no. that few people? If I have a seat next to me that's empty, I am like doing a backflip. A dream. And so I've only happy. had that happen like twice. I know. Normally it's, it's always a full flight. Yeah. So I'm like, I can't even imagine. You pay $20 for a flight and you can basically lay down on the whole seat. <laughs> Sounds amazing. You're basically on a private jet at that point. <laughs> <laughs> yes, living in luxury. Mm-hmm. So the flight uh, takes off on schedule at about 2.50 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Okay. So, you know, they're looking to land about 3.20 for a 30-minute flight. Okay. Uh, and not too long after takeoff, homeboy passes a, a note, probably folded like a sixth grader, <laughs> that says, pull here and yeah. do the whole thing. Do you remember how to do that? Yeah. I wish I did. I'll, I'll I need te- to look up some, I'll like, teach you. Oh my gosh. Let's, <laughs> let's have a note folding. Yeah. Hang I d- out. I had, I had to do it for my sister. She and I recently were talking about it and I mm-hmm. was like, I bet I could remember. And I sure as shit did. I'm so proud of you. Thank you. The most proud. Can I do long division? No. But I I do remember how to fold a note. I can fold a cootie catcher. Hey, yeah, you can. Yeah, I can. That's impressive. So I can't. Um, Okay, so he passes a note to the flight attendant, Florence uh, Schaffner. Yes. Yeah. Who is sitting in one of those little teeny tiny back seats, you know, that like fold out of the wall. (laughs) Yes. Sorry. Whack the whole (laughs) mic. I want you to hear that thunk. Are you paying attention? 
Now you are. Hello. Hello. <laughs> it falls out of the wall. Thunk. Yes. That's what that was. She harnesses into it. Yeah. Um, she's sitting right behind him and she's sitting there. She gets the note. She's thinking, oh boy, this man has the hots for me. <laughs> he is in love with me. He's got that plain face and that brown <laughs> suit and he has the hots for she's me. She's like, I'm sold. Yeah. So she takes the note and she drops it in her purse. Oh, shit. She doesn't even look at it. She's like, <laughs> she's like, I, what am I going to do with your phone number right now? She's like, I don't have a cell phone. <laughs> that is not a thing that exists. No. That, she's like, I'll maybe pull it out from my rotary phone when exactly. I get home. <laughs> but Dan was like, oh, what? Idiot. I only have 30 minutes. <laughs> right? So all of a sudden, the man leans towards her and whispers something that I'm sure no flight attendant or basically anyone on a plane ever wants to hear or anywhere ever he says miss you better look at that note i have a bomb <gasps> he was so polite miss miss he didn't even ma'am her if you could please open that note would be i'd be awful He's grateful like, you're really messing up my plan here you're making this way less smooth yeah. than i wanted it to be but i've got a bomb right here in my pants <laughs> So she takes the note out of her purse and opens it, and it's written with a felt-tip pen, and it says, Miss, again, Miss, Miss, I have a bomb in my briefcase. I want you to sit by me. She's like, um, pass? Yeah, she's like, ooh, uh, I'd rather not be by the bomb. And she's like, I'm working right now. <laughs> I have to deliver drinks, and we have a very short window yeah, that we can get them like, out. she's like, you've seen that big cart? That's my job. I have to push <laughs> it and get drinks. Mm, that's right. Orange juice or? Back then, it was probably like, like really nice food. Yeah, probably. Like, you want the meatloaf or the uh, T-bone steak? I don't know. What yeah. did they eat back then? That? Would you like spaghetti with meatballs? <laughs> it's really good plain food. Yeah. Easy. Super easy. Easy to eat, to eat on a plane. Mm-hmm. So she quickly hands the note back to him, and then she sits down next to him as requested. And then she asks if she can see the bomb. That's the first thing I'm going to do. I'm like, can I look at that? I'm going to need a, to see that. Can I take a look at that bomb that you brought on the plane? I know. No. So what's the plan? Like, tell no one. Let's have you sit by me. Then nothing happens. Yeah. I was like, okay. So he opens up his briefcase and inside uh, are two rows of four red cylinders that to her look like dynamite. Absolutely. Yeah. And then attached to what she believes to be the dynamite was a wire and a large cylindrical battery. So, indeed. Yeah. Very looks, much looks, looks like a bomb. Quite bomb-like. Yeah. So, he closes. You know, I picture a bomb, like, off of the Roadrunner. It's, like, dynamite, uh-huh. like, roped together with a TNT. timer. It says TNT <laughs> on it. Yes. Um, and the fuse is, like, a sparkler. Yes. <laughs> so, he closes the suitcase and has her start writing a note with everything he's demanding. Uh, in this letter... <sighs> Then he has a right. He demands $20,000 in a knapsack by 5 p.m., four parachutes, two from the front, two from the back. And basically implied that he was planning to take <clears throat> like a hostage with him so they wouldn't give him faulty equipment. Oh, yeah. That's mm-hmm. smart. Yeah. So she basically takes all of this information to the cockpit and Captain Scott, who's up there, 
tells her that she needs to stay in the cockpit. He's like, you're going to stay up here. And he takes notes and like, he's like, you need to take notes on like everything that's going down. He then contacts Northwest flight operations in Minnesota and tells them all of this man's demands. But since Florence is now up in the cockpit cockpit, now flight attendant Tina Mucklow now has to kind of like go back and forth between the two of them. Mm-hmm. So after going back and forth for a bit, he then makes additional demands saying that once they land in Seattle, the fuel trucks must meet the plane and all the passengers must remain seated while she brings the money aboard. And then he would release the passengers. And then the last items that would be brought aboard would be the four parachutes. Mm. It's a very specific order. He yeah. This done in. Sheesh. Yeah. So Captain very type A of him. <laughs> very what? Type A. Oh, I said type A. I was like, mm-hmm. what is that? Like it's the like cousin a- to Tybo? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Uh-huh. It was, it preceded Tybo. Did you take Tybo, like, in middle school? I didn't take it. They, like, did those it. Tybo ta- tapes? It was just, like, in I, gym. I did it at my house. Oh, amazing. Me, that 12 year old like, me being like, I'm going to get in shape. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, punching and kicking. You know, you just don't hear of many people doing Tybo anymore. You just don't. Like, Zumba's kind of fading out. I think we, and, like, everything's recycling. Tybo is due for a refresh. Let's bring it back. <laughs> Let's have a meet and greet. And it's also Tybo. It's Tybo. But it's like that guy who did the Tybo tapes. Uh-huh. He's like wearing that suit. Like we wear that suit. <laughs> yeah. But or, or do we wear a D.B. Cooper suit? I don't know. Maybe both. Maybe we start <laughs> we tear out. Tear away D.B. Cooper suit. That's what I was thinking. <laughs> yes. Okay. So. Uh. Captain Scott, he informs air traffic control in Seattle about the situation and they contact the like police, the FBI, all the people they should be contacting uh, because it's a very serious situation going on. Yes. Okay. So they tell the passengers that they're delayed because of a minor technical difficulty because remember, this is a 30 minute flight. (laughs) Yeah. And it's basically a car ride. Seriously. It's like, Going anywhere. That's literally like me driving to your house. Yes. (laughs) But in a plane. Yep. So the president of Northwest Orient authorized a payment of the ransom and ordered all the employees to... So he wants the money from the airline. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So... You'd think they'd be like, the U.S. government. I don't know. Yeah, I don't don't know. know why I'd think that, but... I I mean, that just sounds like a bad guy move, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, so they're just like, you know, cooperate with the hijacker, comply with his demands. Because at Northwest Oriental or whatever you said, they yeah. do negotiate with terrorists. They do. They will do that. And that's why they're not around anymore. <laughs> that is why they no longer exist. Yeah. Because <laughs> terrorists were like, wait, what? <laughs> that's the airline, huh? <laughs> that's the one. So while this is happening, they're just like circling around <laughs> in order to get the police and FBI enough time to get everything together. Yep. Uh, And I just can't even imagine like a 30 minute flight. And then it's like all of a sudden two hours. Right. I like some of us have connecting flights. Right. And all they're telling them is because they don't even know that something's wrong with this guy. They're just like, at least as far as I know, they're just like, it's just a minor. It's for the best technical difficulty. I'm like, what the literal hell could this minor difficulty be? Is there problems with They're the like, landing gear? Yeah, and like, isn't it easier to just land the plane? Right? Like, 
If so, how do you even fix that from up in the air? <laughs> like, we have our mechanic. He's crawling out under the plane. Yeah, it's like, it's going to take some time. <laughs> it's like uh, bridesmaids. <laughs> like, there's oh. a... There's a Oh, what did she say? Victorian woman on the plane. <laughs> the Victorian woman comes out and fixes the plane. Yeah. There's one that. on every plane. So. <laughs> yes. Um, but yeah, it just like, nothing would make sense in that situation to me. <laughs> <laughs> so since the first flight attendant is now in the cockpit, and now you've got Tina sitting next to Dan, uh, he was like, you're staying here with me. And he refused to let her leave his side. So she said that he seemed really familiar with the surrounding area. He kept like pointing out landmarks and he did not act nervous at all. So he's like, oh, like, do you see that down there? That looks like uh, this. I can't even remember. Looks like a a bomb. Yeah. (laughs) But she said that he also seemed rather nice. Like he wasn't rude at all. Like, give this nice man the money he wants. Right? He's being very reasonable. Oh, totally. He only has a bomb on board. So she's just listening to him chat it up. And she finally just asks him, like, well, why did you pick Northwest Airlines or whatever to hijack? And he just laughs and says, it's not because I have a grudge against your airlines. It's just because I have a grudge. (laughs) It's like, I'm not mad at you. I'm just in general mad. Yeah. (laughs) It's not you. It's me. It's definitely me. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And the flight uh, just simply suited his needs. He's like, mm, they're around, so. Yeah, he's like, it's a, you know, it's the flight. It's empty. I can sit at the back. <laughs> I can have all They've the got space I the need. the pretty stewardesses that will <laughs> sit by me. It's like brushes her hair behind her ear. And she, then his tweed touches her face and she's like, ah, rash. <laughs> Immediate rash. <laughs> uh, and then he just continues right along with the pleasantries. He's like, oh. Where are you from, Tina? Tell me where you're from. And she tells him where she's from. And then she returns the question to him, asking him where he's from. Where and he gets you from? really upset. <gasps> and he won't answer. He folds his arms over his tweed chest and just looks out the window. Yeah. It's like, how Tina? Ugh, Tina, I wish you wouldn't have asked me that. <laughs> I'm super embarrassed. Now he just wants her to be like, what's wrong? Yeah. He's like, nothing. I don't want attention. <laughs> I mean, if he's that embarrassed, where do you think he's from? Uh, gotta be uh, Kentucky. <laughs> That's the one. They're just ultimately or, embarrassed. They're like, from Kentucky. I know. I know. <laughs> I know. They're like, I know. It's the chicken I, state. My parents are cousins. <laughs> it's the state that's shaped like a piece of fried chicken. It's fine. <laughs> mm-hmm. So It's embarrassing. <laughs> That's like something they're super embarrassed about for some reason. I actually have a book friend from Kentucky. Yeah. And she went to the Kentucky Derby. Oh, yeah. And she's like, locals do not go. Everyone no. thought I was. it was so embarrassing that I went. Like, And I was like, what? I would be all about like that. You wore a big hat? How embarrassing for you. Gross. Yeah, see, they're even embarrassed about their main attraction. So Aww. he was from Dang Kentucky it. for sure. You heard it here first. So... They get the ransom, okay, of mm-hmm. $200,000. And the bag weighed about 19 pounds. And there were 10,000 unmarked $20 bills. Most of the bills had a serial number beginning with the letter L. Okay. 
And I guess they that indicated that they had been issued by the Federal Reserve Bank of San Francisco. And it was uh, photo. All the bills were photographed or some of the bills. I don't know. Was photographed. <laughs> I was like, that's why it took so long. <laughs> by microfilm by the FBI. Mm-hmm. And Seattle police obtained two front reserve parachutes from local skydiving school and two back main parachutes from a local stunt pilot. Sheesh. I know. So the flight took off on time at 2.50, like I said. Uh, so they should arrive at 3.20. Well, they're getting in at around 5.24. So uh, Captain Scott was informed that everything had arrived. And so they tell Dan that they would be arriving or landing really soon. So the, they actually land at the airport at 5.46. Okay. That's it's way longer than I was promised, okay? Uh-huh. I want and, a refund. Yeah, I demand. And, you know, they're getting, they're handling everything super delicately here. Mm-hmm. So they get his permission to do everything. So they're like, Dan, do we have permission to park the aircraft over here? And they're like, yeah. So He's he gives like, them permission. Yeah, you totally park it there. Yeah. To park the aircraft on a partially lit runway away from the main terminal. And he demanded that only one representative from the airline actually approached the airplane with the parachutes and money. And they let and let them know that the only entrance and exit would be through the aircraft front door down like the stair things that mm-hmm. they roll up to the plane. So Tina is the lucky one who gets to go grab all the stuff from a man named... Uh, Lee, I think. Could be wrong. Good old Lee. Yeah. Uh, who was, ma- like, the operations manager. And he was really nervous about this guy mistaking him as, like, a policeman or something. So he changed into civilian clothes to make the exchange. He's like, I'm not going to risk anything here. Right, yeah. Yeah. So Tina goes out and grabs the money while all the passengers stay seated. And when she gets back, she carries the money past the passengers and to our pal, Dan. So all the people on board now know. I mean, I'm assuming. Right. They're like, wait a second. I thought you said that this was supposed to be a minor technical difficulty. They're like, the technical difficulty is that man right back there. Hijacking. (laughs) Yeah. So he lets the passengers get off the plane, as agreed. And while all this is going down, Tina decides that she's going to make a joke. And she says, hey, can I have some of that money? (laughs) And he's like, yeah, sure. So he hands her some of the bills. And she says, oh, sorry, it's against company policy to take a tip (laughs) from a customer. So she, like, gives it back. Tina. Tina, she's such a goof. Bringing the house down. (laughs) The whole plane <laughs> roaring with laughter. I'm like, Tina, <laughs> you're so funny. So all the passengers get off the plane and uh, it's just like Dan and the six crew members. And then the parachutes are brought on because, you know, those are the last things he needs. So Florence, who was originally sitting behind him, then asked if she could get her purse uh, that she left sitting back there. And he's like, oh, yeah, go ahead. And as she goes to go get the purse, I guess he told her, I won't bite you. <laughs> She's like, uh, thank you. I'm like, you know, you don't, you didn't need to say that. Like, You're getting too comfy. I was 
I was just going to grab my purse, but now I'm actually a little nervous that you're going to bite me. I know. I wasn't thinking that before, but I'm thinking it now. Exactly. So one of the other flight attendants asks if all the flight attendants can leave, and he says, yeah, whatever your girls would like. Thank you. Because also, I forget that this time... It's only mostly female flight attendants. Oh, yeah. Yeah. For sure. At least predominantly. Yeah. So the flight attendant and Florence get off the plane, and Tina brings the last parachute to him and gives him, like, the instructions on how to use the parachute. And he's like, no, I don't need these instructions. I'm a parachute expert. Yeah, he's probably in the military where he's like, military man. So I guess not everything went down exactly the way he had asked. So something he was annoyed about was the money was delivered in a cloth bag instead of a knapsack. And so it was going to make it like harder for him to carry and move around. So he used a parachute bag instead. So he like cut the canopy from one of the reserve parachutes and stuffed as much of the money into it as he could. Hmm. And then someone from the FAA requested to meet him on the airplane. And he was like, absolutely no way. Yeah. No thanks. What do you think? He's like, actually, I would like to meet with them. That (laughs) sounds like a great idea. Yeah, seriously. And I guess they were trying to like refuel the plane. Because remember, he's like, bring the fuel trucks to the plane. Like all this stuff is supposed to be happening. And I guess... um, It was taking too long for Mm. them to refuel. And he was like getting really frustrated and finally he's like this is taking too long let's get the show on the road wheels up yeah and then he gave the cockpit 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 crew i can't say that his flight plan to take a southeast route towards mexico city at the minimum speed airspeed possible without stalling the aircraft which was about 115 miles per hour wow. or 100 knots Wow. Yeah. And at the maximum altitude of 10,000 feet. So he's like, go real slow and real high. (laughs) They're like 10-4. Right? He also instructed them that the landing gear must remain deployed and that the wing flaps must be lowered 15%. Real specific. Like I said, type A. Exactly. Uh, Not type D. Like you may think. Like type dick. DB. <laughs> See, that when you say D, my mind automatically. Always, yeah. <laughs> Always. Always. I mean, I've brought it up many times, so I no shame here. <laughs> no shame. <laughs> and then the cabin must remain unpressurized. And so the guy flying the plane was like, bro, this is insane. <laughs> He's like, mm unadvisable yeah he's like if we do this the plane's only going to make it a thousand miles and it's definitely not going to make it to your destination so we'll have to stop for more fuel so after they all talked it out they decided that they were going to stop at the reno tahoe international airport and refuel there okay so the guy's got a lot of demands right sure does one of the other things he requests is that the aircraft take off with the rear exit door open and the stairs that are, like, in the aircraft. He wanted those out as well. He's like, these stairs here? Disgusting. Out. He just wants them hanging on the plane. <laughs> perfect, perfect. <laughs> cool. And the dude's like, this isn't, sir, this really is not, not safe. It's not how it's We done. should not be doing this. And he's like, does it look like I care about being safe? <laughs> Freaking do it, okay? The guy's just like, ah, it's not safe. And he's like, you know what? 
I'm no biggie. I'm going to do it myself. I'll deploy the stairs once we're in the air. Yep. So the freaking flight attendants are off the plane, except for the pilots, the flight engineer, and then Tina, the flight oh. attendant. He's like, my girl, you must you stay with stay me. In, huh? mm-hmm. So around 7.40 p.m., the flight takes off again, and two F-16 fighters decide that they're going to follow this plane along with another plane called, I don't even remember. It's like some T-3 other military Some other plane. plane. Yeah. Uh, and it was, they were going super slow. And so since the plane was going super slow, they had to, you know, pull that thing where you see police like swerving on the oh, freeway yeah. to slow people down. Mm-hmm. They had to like swerve back and forth to stay behind the plane because oh, they were going, going so, so slow. slow. Mm-hmm. And they didn't want to be seen by him or anything. Wow. So Dan decides that it's time to open the staircase and Tina is not excited about this. Yeah. She's kind of scared that she's going to get sucked out of the plane. Um, Fair. And he's the one, he's like telling her that she needs to open it. (laughs) He's like, you do it. Yeah. So the flight crew is like, hey, come and get some rope and then you can just tie yourself to a chair just in case. And he's like, absolutely not. Nobody's going back to the cabin. She's like, dude, I'm really scared though. Uh, and she asked if he could, like, at least cut some of the parachute cord so she could, like, create some sort of anchor right, for herself. Yeah. And he's like, whatever. I'll just do it myself. So she's like, that's fine. Yeah. So he tells her to go to the cockpit. He's like, nobody's going to the cockpit. You know what? Just go to the cockpit. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a stressed out dad. Right? Uh, but, I mean, even still, I say it this way, but everybody says he was, like, super calm during all of this. Yeah. So he was not rude. Um, and then he told her to close the partition between the coach and first class and to not come back. Um, and so before she leaves, she begs him to take the bomb with him. And he tells her, I'll disarm it or I'll take it with me. As cool <laughs> as a cucumber. Because he's probably like, it's not a real bomb. He's like, it's all fake anyway. It doesn't matter. Uh, and as soon as... She's like walking up to the cockpit. She turns to close the partition and she sees him standing in the aisle, tying the money bag around his waist or what she thinks is the money bag. I don't know. Mm -hmm. And she'd only been with him for about five minutes of the flight before she went to the cockpit. So she's the last person to ever see him. Mm. Mm -hmm. Tina. Tina. In the cockpit around 8 p.m., they get an alert basically informing them that the staircase had been deployed. So they get on the intercom and ask if he needs any help. And he just replies, no. (laughs) Nope. Nope. Good. So the crew's ears all pop from the drop in cabin pressure. Mm. And then at 8.13, the tail of the airplane pitches upward. I don't know what any of this means. And so they try to, like, even out the plane. And nobody even knows if the hijacker is even on the plane still. Um... Because, like, all these doors are open. Right. So Tina, again, uses the intercom to let Dan know, hey, we're about to land. You know, can you close the staircase and stuff so we can land safely? But they never get a reply. Right. So she repeats it again. Still no reply. Then at 11.02 p.m., the staircase is still deployed. Uh, Flight 305 touches down in Reno, and authorities immediately surround the aircraft because... They know there's a bomb and, you know, thinking this man is still on there. Right. And Captain Scott goes to search the cabin and Dewey has vanished. So did they not expect him to jump? 
I don't know. Because I mean, I mean, I think they kind of thought like it was a possibility, but right. Also, it just seems insane, right? So I mean, but like it's the only way for him to not get caught. Totally. Anyway, so Captain Scott searches the cabin. He's vanished. After a 30-minute search of the plane, the FBI bomb squad gives the all clear. And then they recovered 66 fingerprints from the plane. His black clip uh, on his tie. Oh, no. His black clip on tie. Clip his, on. Yeah. His He couldn't tie a tie. <laughs> something he was actually really embarrassed about. He's from Kentucky. Can't tie a tie. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He was super having a rough day. <laughs> Just like the clip was like kept pinching his skin. Yeah. I don't know. He also had a huge rash from mm-hmm. his own suit. <laughs> the worst rash. <laughs> so he his tie clip, two of the four parachutes, one of which had been opened. Um, and the FBI interviewed eyewitnesses and developed some composite sketches of him. And they begin questioning possible suspects. So it sounds like they had some problems with the first few of their sketches. Okay. So the first one, people were like, oh, yeah, I know who that is. That's Bing Crosby. <laughs> oh, jeez. Because that's who it looked like. So this is the first sketch. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. You know I mean, that's the one I've seen the most, I think. Yeah. And they're like, no, like, he doesn't have a look of disinterest. Like, he, like, looked really disinterested. Lawrence said the sketch was a very poor likeness. So the second sketch they did... um, they said looked too angry or nasty. And it looks like he looks like a hoodlum, but he was more refined in appearance. And this looked older than he did. So this is the second uh, yeah. sketch. He looks like he's in like the mafia or something. Right. So they revised this sketch again and came up with a more accurate sketch that people on the plane said, oh, yeah, people would be able to identify him from that sketch. Uh, so that's this one. Oh, okay. Mm hmm. It's like a good mix of the two. Totally. So, surprise, surprise, he did not use his real name <gasps> on his ticket. But the police did interview a man named D.B. Cooper, mm. who had a minor police record, but he was not the guy. And some reporter confused the man with the name used by the hijacker. So people kept repeating the same name, D.B. Cooper, oh, D.B. Cooper. And that's how he gets his name, even though that wasn't his name on his <gasps> ticket or anything. Power of the media, you I guys. Know. Misinformation. Right? Fake news. So this is not the story of D.B. Cooper. Poor guy. He's a minor criminal, but... They're like, you're the D.B. Cooper? And he's like, good hell. No! no that guy was Dan! That was Dan Cooper! I'm D.B. <laughs> so due to all... um. like the variables of the flight, it was basically impossible to figure out where he had fallen from or like jumped from the plane. And they made several attempts of like retracing the flight path, but it was always unsuccessful. Right. Yeah. What do they think they're going to do? Yeah. How are they going to figure it out? Super hard. So FBI agents and sheriffs searched large areas of heavily wooded terrain on foot. They also did door to door searches of local farmhouses And Cooper and the equipment that he had was never found. And then in the spring, they even used a submarine to search Lake Merwin, which I guess is a lake they flew over. Mm. And they just, 
just it was like they couldn't find anything it was super weird right so then they decided that they were going to distribute a list of the serial numbers from the ransom mm-hmm. to search and and northwest orient offered a reward of 15% of the recovered money to a maximum of $25,000 uh, and they even released the serial numbers to the general public and I guess two men used counterfeit $20 bills. <gasps> you guys. Printed with the serial numbers to swindle $30,000 from a Newsweek reporter in exchange for an interview with a man they claimed was the hijacker. Bastards. I know. Sneaky, sneaky. Then again in 1973, they republished the numbers and offered to reward for even a single bill. And then in July 8th, 2016, the FBI finally announced that the active investigation of the Cooper case was suspended. <gasps> but they're like, we'll still take like any, like all the local offices will, you know, take any tips, legitimate physical evidence or whatever. Mm-hmm. So the 66 volume case file compiled over 45 years is preserved at the FBI headquarters in Washington, D.C. And on the FBI website and all the evidence is open to the public. And it's just wild because they have so much evidence, like DNA evidence. They have hair samples, they have DNA from the tie, and they were only able to build like a partial DNA profiles. And they ended up losing the hair samples. Of course. Yeah. Which it was like only two strands of hair that they found anyway. Yeah. So, I mean, how do you even keep track of those in general? Right. So in 1980, though, an eight-year-old did find $5,800 of the ransom cash on vacation. Whoa, jackpot. Yeah. But an analysis in 2020 indicated that that money had entered the water months after the hijacking. What? I know. Super weird. How? Uh, The two parachutes he took in Reno, uh, the FBI found one unopened. Uh, Like where? Yeah, it was like a reserve one, and it was still intact, and now it's in displayed in a museum. Whoa. I know. I didn't even look at the museum, it? but. Wow. And then in 1973, FBI, so the, in 1973, the FBI profile suggested that he was a trained military, per, like, parachutist. Mm-hmm, that makes sense. They said that he, I mean, this is just what they came up with, that he was physically fit, not a heavy drinker, calculated, Smoked a pack of cigarettes a day. Uh, is intelligent. Showed his vote, like it showed in his vocabulary. He had a calm demeanor, ability to adapt without needing an accomplice. And the alias Dan Cooper might have been from a Belgian comic series about the Royal Canadian Air Force test pilot. So he maybe came across it during a tour in Europe, and huh. so maybe that's where he got his name. And they believe the hijacking to be meticulously planned, obviously. Yeah. So. (sighs) Went off without many hitches. Yeah. But. A lot of the FBI was like, you know, he didn't have the right equipment. So it's unlikely that he survived is Mm. their thoughts. Right. And there's no evidence of an accomplice anywhere. And some of the money might have. So, and like a lot of the money, like the money is untouched. 
they said that he might have had hypothermia or drowned, or he might have landed in a location where, like, survival was unlikely. Right, because it was nighttime, right? Like, mm-hmm. it's dark. So Super it's like, dark. how can you even tell? So that's that the other thing. Over? Like, even the planes that were following, like, they couldn't see him in the dead of yeah, night. Yeah, they didn't see him jump or anything. Totally. Yeah. So, but then there were some copycat hijackings that were successful with parachute escapes. And so that led, um, yeah, like, like maybe them to like yeah reassess the situation um but the statute of limitations for a prosecution expired <gasps> but an indictment against John Doe or aka Dan Cooper was issued in 1976 allowing prosecution if he was ever apprehended i don't know how that works but yeah interesting they like kind of found this way around so the fbi processed more than a thousand serious suspects, including people like John List. Whoa. I know. Weird. So, um, also, I you don't watch Marvel stuff, right? Really? No. There's like uh, that Marvel show Loki. Uh-huh. And it's like all about how like time variants and how people like split from timelines and stuff. Mm-hmm. So they, there's like, one of the timelines where Loki is D.B. Cooper. Oh, damn. And then he, like, vanishes because he's, like, the god of mischief or whatever. Uh-huh. I was like... I like that. That's kind of fun. He traveled back to a different time. Right. Like, somebody from now going back and they're like, I could totally hijack a plane totally. from the olden times. Yeah. Okay. So, all of this brings us to today. Yeah. There's a man named Eric... Uh, like Lewis or something, who is the star of History's Greatest Mysteries. And he's dedicated thousands of hours to researching this case. And he has now believed he has a cl- discovered a clue to his real identity. Yay. And this is as of like yesterday. So the Daily Wire posted this like yesterday, and there was also a People Magazine article about it, too. Oh, man. So one of the things that was left behind, if you remember, was his clip-on black tie. Yes. And Eric says that this may have been purchased from J.C. Penney for a $1.49. Wow. Yep. It's and funny. obviously, they've already, like, looked at this tie before. Um but he believes there's microscopic particles scraped from the tie that may link to discovering who Dan Cooper is. Hmm. So basically, he like used these sticky things or something to pick up particles. A sticky hand. Yeah, a sticky hand specifically. <laughs> he just He's like, Ugh. he's like, it very it has to be this. It yeah. picks up just the right stuff. <laughs> um and so it picks up these particles and the particles trace three fragments to a steel plant in Pennsylvania Hmm. called crucible steel, which is in the suburbs of Pittsburgh. And this steel plant supplied the majority of the titanium and stainless steel for the Boeing aircraft. Okay. And so he's basically saying that since this guy knew his way around the Boeing 727 and people who worked for crucible steel reportedly traveled to Seattle often to visit Boeing he thinks that, like, he worked for this company. Oh. hmm And he also said that at this time, Boeing had a significant downturn, and it's reasonable to deduce that D.B. Cooper may have been a part of that downturn. But Eric said that he has named 
a titanium research engineer with crucible steel as a possible suspect. And the engineer died in 2002. (gasps) And he says that he can put him in Seattle at Boeing. And he's definitely someone he's going to continue to dig into. Whoa. But there's no concrete findings yet. So just a fun little extra. It's fun. It would be cool to be like, and then shortly after the DB Cooper thing, he randomly bought like a pony right? or something crazy. <laughs> That's all he bought. He's like, he my daughter like, wanted a pony. He's like, oh. it's like Veruca Salt. <laughs> Dad. I want it now. Yeah. Anything for that annoying girl. So I thought that was kind of a fun twist. So that's why I was nervous that you did it because like there's this new breaking yes. evidence that's kind of come out. And mm-hmm. I was like, what if she saw that? And she was like, oh, I'm going to do it too. Well, not today. Not today. But uh, there's a story of D.B. Cooper. And there's like a lot of very oh, interesting suspects so that like I didn't even dive into because it would just take forever. But there's like a list on Wikipedia of like 30 people who like could reasonably be him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, the link with John List is like wild. Yeah. That's the guy who uh, murdered his family and then started a new totally. life. Yeah. Yeah, so there's a story of D.B. Cooper, and uh, my sources were Wikipedia, The Daily Wire, Investigator Thinks He May Have Identified Famed Hijacker D.B. Cooper by Ash Shaw, People Magazine, New Evidence Discovered in D.B. Cooper's Skyjacking Case Uncovers a Compelling Person of Interest, article by uh, Kimberly Speakman and Britannica.com article. Very good. Mm. Very good. Well, guys, uh, we're almost at two hours. So. I know. Thank you for listening. Yes. We appreciate you. Sure appreciate you. Like, this was a, I liked this episode. This was a good episode. Solid ass episode. Oh, thanks for being here. Remember, uh, our Patreon murder chats and snacks will be on the 27th, I believe. Mm-hmm. It's a Saturday, 10 a.m. 10 a.m. Standard time. We have... Three great episodes to go over and cover. I sent out a reminder email. I'll send out another reminder email. Mm-hmm. Get it on your calendar. We want to see you there. Yes. Join our Patreon if you love our podcast. You guys, tell all your friends and family about us. Yeah. Be like, hey, you want to listen to something really weird? Yeah. Us. And then send them our Instagram and they'll be like, wow, I'm sold. This and is you guys, the weirdest shit I've ever seen. Like, Tell, like, if you tell your friends or family about us, Mm -hmm. message us and tell us. And we will give you a smooch on your forehead. Yeah. Yeah. Like a little sweetie. Yeah. We love you guys. Uh, We hope that uh, you go into your your work week Mm -hmm. or weekend. I guess it's closer to the weekend by the time this comes out. Sure is. And you don't... um, db cooper your outfit i don't know (laughs) (laughs) that would be so embarrassing that's like too much so you know what you should do you should do less and god bless (laughs) 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 gloom